Welcome to Chronic Risk, the voice of the National Cannabis Risk Management Association. Stay tuned for expert advice and analysis on issues pertaining to risk in the cannabis industry from NCRMA's members and certified service partners. Chronic Risk, secured by the National Cannabis Risk Management Association, starts now. Welcome to another episode of Chronic Risk, the voice of the NCRMA, the National Cannabis Risk Management Association. I'm your host, Rocco Petrilli, chairman of the organization, and I want to thank everyone for joining us. Chronic Risk is the podcast that gives insights on the risk in, can- in the cannabis industry from the NCRMA partners, members, and avil- affiliates' point of view. Today, we're joined by someone who can provide us with insight into the legal side of cannabis and how risk management applies to keeping you on the right side of the law. Our guest is Ian Stewart. Ian's a partner with Wilson Elser Law Firm. And Ian has defended complex litigation in state and federal courts for more than 20 years with a focus on product liability, complex general casualty, cannabis law, transportation and marine claims, data privacy, security, and intellectual property. Ian is also the co-chair of the firm's cannabis law practice. Ian. Welcome to Chronic Risk. Thank you, Rocco. Great to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me to speak with you today. Yeah, it, it's it's great to have you together on our platform. I know you and I have done some uh, work together, and and we're going to be doing uh, to more together. But uh, recently, we we served on the uh, business insurance uh, cannabis uh, webinar and uh, found that to be an enjoyable process. Certainly, you come without the need of any inter- introduction for people that uh, are active and understand what's going on in the cannabis market. So uh, we're very excited to have you here and very excited about uh, the perspective that you're going to be able to bring to the NCRMA and its members. Well, thanks. Yeah, happy to uh, lend whatever uh, educational support I can in this this area. It's been uh, been a lot of fun over the last few years to see it grow and really you know, see where it is today. Ian, MG Magazine says that you're one of the most powerful and prominent cannabis attorneys that people should know. Uh, tell us how uh, you acquired, uh, you know, first your interest and then your expertise in this marketplace. <laughs> well, first of all, I'll, uh, I'll say I was, I was certainly happy to uh, to get MG's stamp of approval. Uh, I'll let, let them speak for me on that. But uh, uh, the um, genesis of my cannabis law um, practice has been uh, a slow evolution that started in about 2004. And at that time, I was working with the London market, uh, which was really the only game in town back then on, on cannabis risks. Uh, and then also working with some nutritional supplement companies here in California that were dealing with uh, litigation and some of which were uh, looking to uh, become licensed at that time under the California medicinal statute, medicinal cannabis statute. Um, And uh, uh, in about 2016, we formed our team here formally uh, in the firm, Uh, again, primarily focusing at the beginning in California. Uh, And today, now we're active across the country. Uh, in, in um, a number of different fields where it's really multidisciplinary. So my background, again, is, is product liability, 
intellectual property, insurance risk management, <clears throat> and data privacy, all of which intersect cannabis in some way. And what we found is almost every practice team across this firm, and we have about 40 offices, um, have some touch point with cannabis because it's such a, a broad area, uh, both from regulatory, insurance, risk management, product, transportation and distribution, um, quality control, testing, you know, there's just all these different areas that that intersect our, our various um, uh, practice teams. And, um, uh, you know, and then on the, on the CBD and hemp side now, uh, we're seeing actually, I think, more activity litigation-wise and sort of risk management-wise because at least with regulated THC marijuana, there's a roadmap, there's rules of the road, you know, uh, lawyers and clients can follow and stay in those guidelines, whereas CBD and hemp, it's, it's a bit more challenging right now. So uh, yeah, it's been a fun experience. Great. I know the uh, webinar that we did for uh, business insurance together focused on product liability and uh, certainly uh, walked away with, uh, on my end, a, a much greater uh, understanding and perspective on what that means in cannabis. And and we'll talk a little bit later about uh, you know the fact that I, I came to to cannabis and risk management somewhat late in my career after spending 30 some years in automotive components manufacturing. But uh, ever since that webinar, I've been very busy sort of transferring that, that automotive uh, uh, track and trace knowledge in, into cannabis because yeah. uh, certainly- Well, that's, uh, that's what the cannabis industry needs are, you know, uh, you know uh, individuals like you and others that take, you know, known quality control, quality assurance, you know, um, ERP and other, you know, uh, uh, you know, knowledge bases like that, and 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 put them into cannabis, and uh, that's happening now, and that's it's great to have you know people like you on board. I'm having a blast. At at about 59 years old, I made a decision. I said, you know, a long time ago, I decided I never want to retire, but I also decided that I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So so I reached out and searched out something that that I could do happily till till the day that I pass and I think I found it. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so Ian the NCRMA again we're we're the only focused uh and dedicated uh risk management association in the cannabis market. Uh so your perspective is is very important to our members. Can can you including with some anecdotes uh, tell us what are the most common risk or regulatory issues that you work with in your practice? Yeah, sure. Well, I think, you know, you have to really divide that between, again, THC marijuana versus CBD. So on the marijuana side, I would say that it, it, it really depends heavily on the state, right? Because the state regs, even though kind of writ large, they have similar buckets of requirements for the different operating entities. Uh, when you get down to a granular level, they, they vary, uh, diff, you know, pretty widely, especially on, um, how, how, uh, uh, companies can be licensed, what those licenses allow them to do, the extent to which they're vertical, uh, and whether they are limited license states or unlimited license states. Uh, so California would be an example of an unlimited license state. Florida would be an example of a, of a very limited license state. And then you've got states in the middle, the hybrids that are sort of Illinois and Michigan and Massachusetts that, you know, that, that um, do limit license to some extent, but, um, but uh, um, you know, still, still allow for, uh, flexibility. So with regard to um, what we're seeing in terms of risks, certainly from, 
from a claims perspective, uh, where where operators are having losses and making insurance claims or making other you know claims against third parties, um, you're, it's primarily thefts and fires. Property related risks are, are the highest volume in terms of uh, numbers of dollars of, of sort of losses and claims and, and and the amounts paid by the cannabis insurance company. Um, the challenge there is that these um, cannabis insurance policies, and today you do have real coverage, good carriers, you know, so there's better options than there were a few years ago, but they can still be a little more expensive than, uh, than similar markets. Uh, and they've got a lot of protective uh, safeguard endorsements and reps and warranties within the policy that the, the operator really needs to be careful of because those reps and warranties become a part of the contract. And when you've got a loss like a fire or a theft, um, the the adjuster or the, the investigator is going to come in on behalf of the insurance company is going to look to see whether or not the operator was complying with all these various requirements under the regs and whether or not non-compliance affected at all the likelihood of that loss to have happened. And so we have seen some, some battles in court uh, over coverage that's been denied because of uh, those, those uh, protective safeguard endorsements. Um, I think another area of... Um, concern uh, for the industry is the is the risk that's presented by testing labs. Um, certainly, testing labs are, are uh, you know, required by the industry. Um, there aren't that many of them. They tend to be smaller um, startup. And uh, I think that the, the problem with the testing labs is, uh, unlike regular, uh, you know, chains of distribution for other consumer products, Cannabis is really unique where, where the cannabis runs right through the testing lab. They're part of the chain of distribution. And so when you're talking about lawsuits okay. that happen from a contamination or for some, you know, some bodily injury, uh, the likelihood is that the cannabis lab is going to be dragged into that lawsuit. And instead of being sort of like an outside independent third party uh, that the defendant can go to and say and use that, that, that testing lab as sort of like your expert, it can be a bit of a confrontational you know, posture because now they're a defendant and they have to defend their own actions. And sometimes they'll do that by pointing the finger at other, other parties in the chain. So we've seen that as being a problem. That's, that's come up again and again over the last couple of years. That's yeah, interesting. I know we, we talked uh, during, during my portion of the Business Insider webinar about the importance of independent third-party testing. And I'll agree with you that one of the things we need to influence is, is criteria and standardization for certification so sure. that we, we can eliminate that friction because there, there has to be, there has to be uh, a, a third party uh, that can then can adjudicate uh, some of these issues when it comes to product claims. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, and I think that on the, on the, on the CBD hemp side, <clears throat> certainly the, the, the biggest risk we're seeing now is with consumer claims and labeling. Um, there's still a number of lawsuits that are being, you know, have been filed and are still being filed, class actions, et cetera. But the, the trend that's developing, which I think is a hopeful one, is that many courts are agreeing to stay the case uh, based on a doctrine called uh, uh, primary jurisdiction. And what, what that means is, is that they're saying because a federal agency, in this case the FDA, is engaged in formal rulemaking right now to try to figure out this very complicated issue of you know, how should CBD be labeled and tested and, you know, uh, how should consumers be, be marketed to? Um, the courts don't want to stick their neck in and then all of a sudden have this, you know, patchwork of regulation, you know, judge-made regulation around the country that's going to cause chaos. So now we're seeing several cases now that have stayed those litigation to let the FDA do its job. I think that's going to make things much smoother over the next year or so 
uh, while the FDA works. We're with Ian Stewart. Ian is co-chair of uh, the Cannabis Law Practice for Wilson Elser. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back uh, in a couple of minutes with more with Ian and Chronic Risk. Chronic Risk will continue after we visit our certified advertisers. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at shoogies.com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really one toke over the line. And I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. You're listening to the voice of the National Cannabis Risk Management Association, NCRMA's Chronic Risk, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Chronic Risk, hosted and sponsored by the NCRMA and Cannabis Radio. Ian Stewart from Wilson Elser is with us, talking about somewhat of some of the difficulties and complications and risk analysis that are associated with the, the legal side of legal cannabis. Ian, just to cut to the chase here, because uh, I mean, one of one of the advantages I think, uh, you know, personally, I brought to the party is. I was I was a new guy on several of these fronts uh, just a couple of years ago, so I know that perspective is important. And what what I hear, I spend as much time as possible. Unfortunately, before the middle of March, I used to spend more, but I do everything I can to get face to face with our members because we're a needs based organization, and uh, our mission is to make our members better through the application of of education 
of support and expertise. But what comes back more often is just all of this concern about pending regula regulation and compliance. And my question to you is, what, what's all that mean? And what does the average cannabis entrepreneur really need to prepare, to prepare him or, or herself to be ready for that challenge? Yeah. Well, I think there's, there's good news and bad news. We, the, the good news is, is that um, the cannabis industry has self-regulated itself to a remarkably good extent um, such that, and, and we know this because, you know, five years ago when uh, people would go to conferences and would get up on stage and they would speculate, um, you know, without real knowledge, but maybe based on an educated guess based on their, their experience in other sectors, they would say, well, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. We're going to have these catastrophic losses. We're going to have all these lawsuits. We're going to have product liability suits in particular where people are, you know, ingesting cannabis and getting hurt and killing others. And, you know, there's going to be lawsuits, et cetera. And we haven't seen that at all. I mean, that has not happened at all. And, and um, not to say that there aren't some lawsuits. There's certainly commercial lawsuits and there's contamination, et cetera. Um, but that's because of the regulations and people, you know, um, you know, uh, bemoan the extent of those regulations and they are onerous, but they're onerous for a reason. They're expensive. They're hard to follow. You know, uh, certainly even for the attorneys who deal with it day to day, they change in there and they're, they're not um, fully fleshed out with, with case law. So there's a lot of sort of judgment calls because when you look at the regulations, it's sort of like from the legal context, the regulations are like the bones, right? And then uh, the, the uh, additional kind of administrative decision-making and rulemaking and the, and the case law coming out of lawsuits, that's all the flesh on the bones. We don't have that yet, right? So, um, so, so the, the, the good news is, is that despite all these bad predictions uh, and despite the um, expense and, and aggravation of cannabis companies having to comply with regulations, it's actually a really safe um, you know, uh, relatively non-volatile market in terms of losses, in terms of lawsuits, and in terms of, you know, sort of risk from that perspective. Um, the bad news is, is that that all may change. <laughs> and the reason that that all may change is because we're in this, this new phase now, especially after the election, where we could, you know, in a, in a uh, you know, very um, likely way, particularly if Democrats take over the Senate, um, see either safe banking or some broader federal legalization. And um, what that would mean is, is that we're going to start seeing interstate commerce. And uh, we're going to see interstate commerce at the same time that the state regulations stay in place. These state regs aren't going away anytime soon. So, you know, California is still going to have all the requirements that the operators are going to need to follow. And if they want to start doing business with Nevada, those regs are in place too. And they're not designed for interstate commerce. Those are designed for an intrastate market only. And that is going to cause real havoc, especially for the MSOs. Um, and, um, you know, so I think that there's, there's certainly, uh, you know, perceived benefits from being, you know, from having the market open up and to allow interstate commerce. But I think it's going to cause a lot of chaos and a lot of risk. And you're going to see a lot of uh, lawsuits and regulatory issues as people try to work this out. And, and I know that, that groups like, um, uh, you know, certainly NCRMA and NCIA and, you know, normal. And they're all talking about um, sort of what is going to happen post-legalization with interstate commerce. That's, that's, that's I think, going to be uh, the, the big news um, once, you know, the cheering stops and the champagne is, you know, back in the fridge after legalization. Now we're going to say, what next? And that's the what next. In the, uh, the NCRMA, again, very much focused on risk management. 
as our sole concern and, and sole product delivery when it comes to the cannabis industry. Early in this process, uh, recognizing that, uh, you know, proper insurance is you know, very much uh, an important cog in any effective risk management platform, uh, we got an earful from our members about just how, you know, in, frankly, to use their terms, uh, insurance in the cannabis industry was a mess. Our, our members felt uh, and continue to feel that uh, premiums are are very high, too high for for the levels of coveraging of coverage that they're getting because the policies that they're dealing with are laden with exclusions, and and told us that uh, for the most part the reason that they bought insurance was strictly from a compliance standpoint to check a box because they had to have certain insurances to satisfy you know, some type of licensing, permitting, or or investing, or landlord requirement, for example. Right. So, so what the NCRMA has done after, uh, you know, spending some time trying to bring the current insurance products in the industry in line with what our members were looking for is, is actually endorsed the creation of insurance captive that will be coming online soon. And this is association, this is an association-based captive that will be owned by the members of the NCRMA and is designed to combine the advantages of control and enforcement that come from a captive insurance ownership situation with the innovative risk management platform that the NCRMA has developed to serve the untraditional cap, excuse me, I'm gonna back up there a minute, Rasco. To serve the untraditional cannabis market and provide a best-in-class insured because what we were told is that the people who hold the limited capacity in the insurance and cannabis industry will open that capacity up if they're sure that the people that they're insuring fit the qualification of best-in-class. Right. So, so from your vantage point, uh, and and coming back to not only the compliance and certain educational areas that. Uh, that are necessary today, but what you foresee are going to be necessary after federal legalization. What advice can you give to the NCRMA and the NCRMA Academy, which is a, an educational institution that we've stood up to provide this risk management education? What should we make sure as part of our curriculum? Sure. Well, first of all, I think um, that the the idea of a of a of a captive model um, makes good sense for the cannabis industry. And I think people have, have seen that for quite a while, but there have been some legal hurdles for captives, especially on the domicile side. You know, states haven't been domiciling them until just recently, and and it's good to see NCRMA is 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 ahead of that curve. Um, and, and and the reason why it's such a good model is because um, you know a captive, as you said, is owned by the the insurance. You know they they risk pool and they and they 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 keep all that money uh, to to do risk financing. So instead of giving the money to an insurance company and the insurance company takes your premium dollars and invests it somewhere, you're holding on to that money and and you're incentivizing risk management because that's your money. You don't want to pay losses. You want to hold on to it and invest it and keep it. And so you know I think the the idea of why captives are so good for certain industries that do have some risk is because it incentivizes uh, uh, the, the the companies to stay safe. Um, uh, so 
groups like NCRMA and, and others are going to be, uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, needed more, you know, more than, than, than ever in the next couple of years as companies start to, you know, self-insure and particularly as they self-insure in some of the riskier areas uh, with professional lines like, uh, you know, errors and omissions and directors and officers and cyber coverage and employment, et cetera. And those are, you know, can be very difficult to underwrite. Um, so uh, in terms of um, uh, types of education, um, I think that cannabis has uh, been focused so much, cannabis education has been focused so much on regulation. You know, what do the regulations say? And that's certainly important. But remember, regulations are just the minimum. That's the minimum obligation that a company has. Uh, is to comply with those regulations. Um, what we're, I think we're going to start seeing are uh, the adoption of additional um, good practices by other similar industries. So, for example, CGMP is a good example. You know, that's that's good, good manufacturing processes from the food industry. And that's already written into some statutes uh, that you have to do CGMP in some areas. But, but the cannabis industry is going to broadly adopt that and, and embrace that. Um, you know, we're going to have, you know, other outside groups like ASTM and, and ISO, et cetera, you know, that are, that are making standards around testing, around distribution. Um, you know, certainly the FDA is going to be involved, uh, even with THC marijuana, you know, at some point regarding um, consumer warnings. Um, and so I think, you know, as the industry broadens and as the federal regulations relax, I think there's only going to be more agencies that come in and sit on top of the state regs and it's going to be just complicated. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, you, we need organizations that are going to kind of just cut through the, the, the chafe there and, uh, um, you know, educate on, um, the regs on distribution, on testing, on quality control, uh, on, um, you know, uh, uh, employment, good practices, uh, you know, uh, uh, the business judgment rule and, you know, ultra virus issues in terms of making decisions, uh, that are going to, you know, put their investors at risk, all these different things we need education on. Ian Stewart, cannabis attorney, co-chair of the cannabis law practice at Wilson Elser. This is Chronic Risk. We'll take a short break. Chronic Risk will continue after we visit our certified advertisers. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. 
Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. I'm your host, Dr. Dina. We've got David Faustino on the line, Bud Bundy from Married with Children. Did you feel nervous being a celebrity walking into a weed store? I don't remember at all being like, ooh, I'm scared to even take my picture here. What are they going to say? Bud Bundy smokes Bud? I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be a big shocker. Hey, this is David Faustino, and I'm on Cannabis Confidential with my girl, Dr. Dina, on CannabisRadio.com. You're listening to the voice of the National Cannabis Risk Management Association, NCRMA's Chronic Risk, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Chronic Risk with Ian Stewart of Wilson Elser, talking cannabis and impacts of cannabis legalization and compliance to the cannabis industry. Ian, you uh, recently participated in a webinar entitled entitled Insurance Issues in the Cannabis Industry, Managing Risk Under State and Federal Law. Some of the things that we talked about here today, uh, anything that we missed? Well, you know, I think that what we... What we talked about uh, in part in that um, presentation, which is important, is you know how how does the cannabis industry as it sits today differ before the pandemic and what's going to happen after the election? So we're in this sort of flexion point right now where um, there have been some good things that have happened and some bad things that have happened in light of recent events. And certainly, um, uh, cannabis has benefited you know, enormously from the the essential service designation in a number of states and the, the ability to stay open. Uh, it's proven itself in large measure to be recession-proof, you know, similar to alcohol and some other similar um, uh, industries. Um, and that's really good news, I think, for, for the industry, for, for investors, for government, for the idea that, you know, there's, there's you know, going to be a, a continued reliable stream of tax revenue for these businesses. Uh, but uh, at the same time, because of COVID, it's it sucked all the oxygen out of the air for other legislative initiatives, both at the state and federal level. And with the exception of New Jersey, which has a ballot measure in place uh, uh, for adult use, um, and, and Mississippi does as well. Um, uh, and then you've got ballot measure, uh, signatures being sought in Arizona. So that, that may be on the ballot. Um, but otherwise we're looking at a pretty thin, um, uh, you know, lineup for November in terms of new States that will be coming in, uh, as, as, as adult use or, or, or medicinal. Um, and then again, as I mentioned earlier on at the federal level, it really all depends on what happens in the Senate. Um, if the Senate stays uh, Republican, it's you know certainly less than fifty percent chance we'll see any kind of broad federal legalization in the next term. Uh, and if it's Democratic, I think that the chance goes up you know dramatically. Um, so we'll see. But uh, uh, neither Trump nor Biden are terribly pro or anti marijuana. Um, I think that they've you know sort of just both taken sort of a hands off approach. I don't think you'll see any initiatives coming out of the White House in either event. You probably also won't see vetoes coming from, from either uh, uh, presidential contender. So um, uh, over the next year or so, uh, I expect we're going to see, you know, slow, steady growth. And, um, you know, once all this chaos is over, you know, I think the industry is in a really good position. And, and I think in, in a weird way, COVID has only strengthened the cannabis industry. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's an observation that uh, we've talked about on several fronts. I mean, certainly the recognition of COVID as essential, or excuse me, of uh, cannabis as essential during COVID has helped to to strengthen the position. 
and and the market. And also, what what's coming to light now is that uh, so many of these states find themselves behind the eight ball from a budgetary standpoint. That I think they're looking to cannabis for uh, some relief. Yeah, in and of- and in fact, uh, cannabis municipal bonds are now becoming you know, a, a, an idea that's starting to percolate through local and state governments. Yeah. So interesting. So, so as much as, I mean, being, being someone who's passionate about the industry, as much as, as I hate to see the right things happening for the wrong reason, uh, I also respect the fact and uh, somewhat relish the fact that uh, it, these states that are going to get, be getting into early are going to need help from guys like you and I and and the companies and associations that we belong to, to make sure that the education and the tools are in place so that they can handle the the adult use legalization properly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, New Jersey is is doing, you know, unfortunately, kind of the model that California did, which was pass it without kind of, you know, implementing regulations and then let's just see how it all works out. And I think that's just, you know, because they, they they gave it a shot a year ago and it didn't work. This is the way they have to do it. But they got to be careful because there have been, you know, significant lessons learned by states like California and some of the other Western states that have caused a lot of problems. And states like Illinois, they figured it out and it's actually going rather, you know, well. And I hope New Jersey does the same. Yeah, me too. And uh, because I think there's a, a long and uh, very valuable and appropriate history for cannabis, not as a vice but certainly as it's been defined, uh, essential, you know, for, for various medical sure. as well as, uh, I mean, I, I always avoid using the term recreational cannabis because even in the adult use side, I don't consider it rec- recreational. Sure. I, there's I so many, there's so many consumers that, that, you know, access their medicine through the adult use channel. That's right. So, so from that vantage point, uh, I think we're aligned and certainly, I think the NCRMA and and Wilson Elster stand ready to, you know, help uh, wherever help is needed. I know that uh, you and uh, your partner Dean Rocco and and I are on the docket soon to have a further conversation about uh, how the NCRMA and and your firm can work closely together to deliver uh, some of these additional components of knowledge and product and service to the cannabis industry. I look forward for the, to that and certainly look forward to having you on uh, chronic risk again soon. Well, thank you, Rocco. We look forward to that as well. For those of you who wanted to get more expertise from Ian and the other NCRMA experts, I encourage you to join our organization. Go right now to www.ncrma.net. For the NCRMA, for Chronic Risk, this is Rocco Petrilli thanking Ian Stewart from Wilson Elser for his contributions here today and thanking uh, all interested for joining in and uh, listening to this podcast. Thanks again to Cannabis Radio. And again, Rocco Petrilli, Chronic Risk, voice of NCRMA, Risk Analysis.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. 